Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the McClifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, the presidential campaign in the USA is in full swing. Well, I suppose not really because of the health emergency, but it is certainly underway with just over six weeks to polling day on the 3rd of November. Some people have labelled this as the most important election in a generation, largely because of what is at stake. Is it going to be another four years of Donald Trump and all that might bring with it? Or election for Joe Biden and whether or not that would reverse some of the trends, particularly, I suppose, in relation to divisions in society in the US that have opened up. I'd suggest, and my guest today, I suspect, might dispute this, that the vast majority of people in this country can't understand why up to half of the American electorate would vote for Mr. Trump to be given another four years. On the other hand, Joe Biden is not somebody who inspires to a great extent and I suppose how could you put it there are questions perhaps over whether at his current stage of life he has the robust qualities that might be required to operate effectively as president of the USA. Now to talk about this and in particular to perhaps explain to myself and many others the apparently enduring appeal of Mr Trump in many quarters of the US electorate. I'm joined by Seth Barrett Tillman, who is a lecturer in Minute University Department of Law. Seth, you're welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Mick. I appreciate that. Mick, I'd like to pick up with something you said. Yeah. One of the things you said is that probably most people in this country have difficulty to understand why about half the United States will vote for Donald Trump on Election Day. Yes. That statement is both true and not so true. Right. It's true in the sense that if you took a poll and asked Irish people that, I think you're right. I think the overwhelming majority would simply say they can't understand it. But it's also not true in a sense, because what those people who say that don't do is they don't pick up pen and paper or even send emails to their TD and say, you know what, the way the United States is so wrong, so disgraceful, so poor and so dangerous that we ought to make an effort to bring Irish citizens home particularly those Irish citizens who are in the United States illegally. Because if the United States is that disgracefully messed up, people who really believe that would do something about it. And they would bring their sons and daughters, nephews and nieces, cousins, and even just Irish people who aren't their blood relatives home. But they never do. And that tells me that when they tell the pollster they can't understand why America is run that way, they're not quite telling the truth. In fact, they can understand it. They just disagree with it. Yeah, I, I, I take your point, Seth. I suppose one thing people perhaps would say to that is that, as I also mentioned, we're talking about half of America. And as we know, there seems to be a major division between those two halves at the moment. You, you, you have those who, as I say, up to half and roughly as, as we stand, those who would vote for Donald Trump and those who, to some extent, would vote for anybody but Donald Trump. But 
in, in a wider context, could I just put it to you about Mr. Trump's record? Now, he began four years ago and people said, you know... I think I'm all for going to that part of the conversation. Yeah. But I really would like to finish this one first. All right, you and I are right here in Ireland, all right? I see more Irish people in my average day than I do Americans in my average day. And probably the same is true about you. Is it really true that the average Irish person cannot understand why about half of America will vote for, the, for Donald Trump? Is it really true that those people who say that think America is run so disgracefully that they can't understand it? Because if they did think that, I think they would conduct their behavior very different. If America under Trump is that messed up, why aren't tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Irish people calling and writing and emailing their TDs to bring Irish people home, particularly those who are in the United States illegally? And because that never happens, that tells me that when your average person in this country says they just can't understand America, in fact, they're not being straight with you. They, I tell you, I, I they tell can you. understand it. Let me put it this way to you, Seth. Um, just because Donald Trump was elected president does not negate all the very good things about America overnight and the type of things that saw Irish people going to America for the last 200 years. And as you're perfectly aware, there are different branches of government in the USA uh, between Congress and, and, and the executive um, that, that, that rule the country and that despite Mr. Trump and what people might feel about him, and not everybody, but a, a large group of people, particularly, I'd suggest, on this side of the Atlantic, that that does not mean that America has suddenly turned into a nightmarish place. But it does suggest to some people, and quite obviously not to perhaps up to half the American electorate, that he is bringing America down a road that seems alien and that is not what people might consider healthy. Mick, I, I think that's a very fair restatement. That is, you're saying the president doesn't have total control. He might be going down the wrong road, but America is not a nightmare as a result of Trump. But let me tell you, many of the people in this country, and not a few in the United States in America, will tell you that under Trump, America has become a nightmare. And those same people who will tell you that in this country don't make any efforts to bring Irish people home. So if you want to say that Trump hasn't been perfect, or if you want to say that you disagree with his policies, there are about half of America will say that, and more than half of Ireland. But a large number of people in this country, and not a few in America too, are saying specifically that America under Trump has become nightmarish. And what I'm objecting to is that if they really believe that, they would think very differently. And I wonder if we could agree on that, that the nightmare of Trump really ought to be off the table, as opposed to just an everyday policy discussion about whether his policies have worked out well. I'd agree with you up to a point, Seth. Um, it's, not, it's, it's not a nightmare, but there, there are policy discussions. There are also character discussions. There are also There is also the issue that whereas... It has not become a nightmare, as, as you're suggesting that some people suggest, are, are saying that it is now. But I'd suggest that it has the potential to be so if, for example, if you look at Donald Trump's attitudes to race and the potential for division there and what that could sow, if that was carried on for another eight, four years, another eight years, 
America could be, could be a very different place. And I think perhaps people... And Mike, Mick, if people really believe that, that if America could be a really different place, they would be telling their children, don't go to the American embassy till after the election to get that visa. Well, they might be doing that. <laughs> but they're not doing that. Because when you go to the American embassy or when you contact the American embassy to find out if people are entering the lotteries to get those visas, uh, the lines are just as long as they've always been. I, Mick, I don't think we're, we're that far apart. No, no, no. I, I take your point. I take your point. And if you want to change the conversation towards the direction uh, you originally wanted to go, and I'm happy to to go with you now because I think I've gotten my first point across. And very well too. No, that's fair enough, Seth. Yeah. No, where I was going to bring it is just in terms of Mr. Trump's record. Four years ago, he was somebody new. Some found him objectionable. Other found him a breath of fresh air. Now he is no longer an outsider. He has a record, his first record in politics, because he, he never had a role in politics prior to this. And could I suggest just a few things about it, what has unfolded? America's more divided. Uh, you could say an, a robust economy until the COVID arrived, but one that disproportionately benefited the very wealthy. His response to the COVID has been inept. He is now running a campaign based on spreading fear. And in terms of the character issue on a basic level, he appears most of the time to be unable to tell the truth. And would you go along with those characterizations? No, I don't think I would. <laughs> we could go through them point by point if you like. Right. No, I, I, I think the first thing you'd have to say about Trump is there was a reason he was elected. No, there were, there were quite a few reasons, but there was there was one particular reason that put him over the top in many states, and I think that's very much lost in the audience here in, in Ireland. Uh, Donald Trump uh, was elected because after 30 years of Bush and Clinton wars and Obama wars, someone said enough. And for the last four years, Donald Trump has not reneged on that promise. Ireland has always wanted an American peace president. They finally got one. Donald Trump is America's peace president. There is no major land war in Asia with American participation. There's no major war with America anywhere in the world. So for all those millions of families in America whose na last names aren't Clinton and whose last names aren't Bush, who actually have children serving in the American armed forces, they're going to be very thankful on election day that their children weren't put directly in harm's way because Trump hasn't gone back on that promise. He's kept us out of war. Right. So that's the first reason. Yeah. Right. The second reason, uh, which I think is very much lost on the audience here, is that uh, Trump doesn't mince words. He might change his mind from time to time. Um, he might change his mind a lot, but he tells people what's on his mind, often to the regret of his supporters. All right? he, he doesn't go through intermediaries. And people who feel left out, uh, who think that the elites all stick together, like that Trump talks to him, even if only on Twitter. And he talks directly to them without intermediaries. And that's another reason they like him. Uh, that won't change, all right? Uh, so those are two pluses. And when you add another plus, he's had tremendous unexpected foreign policy victories when all the elites said he wouldn't have any and risk putting the Middle East into war. You might say that he's met some promises he made and he's improved parts of the world that people didn't expect to see improved. Now. Some of the problems you pointed out, regrettably, they're there. But that doesn't, he doesn't have something to offer on election day. 
Okay, um, just take those three. So said no war. Absolutely, I, I, I think I can go along with that. However, some people would suggest that he. Mick, Mick, stop, stop. You think you could go along with it? <laughs> well, uh, let me rephrase. Right. Okay, said fair enough. Is there a war somewhere? No, I don't... no, there has been no war for the last four years. That's an achievement for America, isn't it, Mick? That is an achievement. Fair enough. When you had said that if Hillary had been elected, she might have achieved the same thing? She might have, because I think America, after the Iraq in particular, were very tired of wars. And it, and, and I take your point, though, about the, the successive administrations that got America entangled in wars. But I, I, I wouldn't necessarily go along that if she went in that there would have been a war. But one way or the other, I have to agree with you, there's been no war under Donald Trump. There has been some foreign relations policies that people would be very worried about, particularly to do with North Korea, perhaps, and Iran. But, fair enough, no war. Now, talks directly to people absolutely and says what's on his mind and avoids the type of political spin that has been come par for the course in so many places. I would agree with you there, Seth. I would say, however, though, that thing of no filter and being able to talk directly, one consequence of that is the man tells lies repeatedly and constantly and... It does not get called out among his supporters because largely they don't listen to the media. We're going to have to agree to disagree on that one. Okay. <laughs> and let me, let me tell you why. All right. I understand that the job you do is impromptu and it's difficult. And not two minutes ago, you said, I think I could go along with you on that. Now, I wouldn't dream of calling Mick Clifford a liar for that slip of the tongue. I think people do that all too frequently, Donald Trump. Well, as you know, Seth, the likes of the Washington Post, I think, and whatever about the New York Times, they've enumerated what have been, and I think, well, let me, sorry, I am sure it has gone into the hundreds. It has possibly gone into the thousands. If you go, if you go by the New York Times count, Mick, it's not the thousands, it's the tens of thousands. Right. Well, I'm, I was being conservative. The response to that, the natural response is, for about four years, the New York Times, even when Mueller wouldn't back it anymore, backed the Russia hoax. So I'm not sure the New York Times is the place I'd go to determine truth from lies. Well, I mentioned the Washington Post. You wanted to talk to the Washington Post? They were marketing the Russia hoax along with everybody else, uh, along with most of the Western media, and along with the media in Western Europe and in Ireland. Right? If you people will buy the Russia hoax, then I don't think you're in the best position to talk about being judgmental with regard to other people's mistakes. Seth, when, when, when you say the Russia hoax, with the greatest respect, Mueller did not, his investigation did not reach the threshold where Donald Trump could be charged in any form with in getting the Russians involved in the election. However, I don't think anybody disputes that the, the Russians did get involved in the election and that it their involvement was known to elements of the Trump campaign. Mick, Mick, at the time of the election, the administration and the FBI was being held by Democrats. President Obama ran the FBI at the time of the election. Right? So if there, if there was any Russian interference, the people to blame are not Donald Trump, but the people who are running the police establishment and the spy establishment. So as far as I'm concerned, they had nothing and never had anything. What you mean by interference is there were people in foreign countries who try to affect what's going on in the United States, just as the United States tries to affect what goes on in other countries. Thank God for the last four years, the United States hasn't used war. 
but countries often involve themselves in the politics of others. This country involved itself in, in, in intra-party disputes in Brexit with regard to the British, and people in Ireland thought they were right to do it. So what you mean by Russia interference is getting on Facebook. Really, who cares? The point is, Mueller didn't find anything to suggest that Donald Trump was trading promises of political behavior to get the Russians to facilitate his winning the election. That was the Russia hoax, the idea there was this grand conspiracy with Russians. It was just McCarthyism. And if you people want to continue to buy it, it shows that you are way, way, way out there and don't really understand what happened for the last four years. You were conned, Mick, along with all the Western media. There was no difference between the Russia hoax and McCarthyism. Can I put a, a, a different proposition to you? Does it bother you that Russians, and particularly Vladimir Putin, wanted Donald Trump installed as president? Lots of things bother me. That doesn't mean the president, whereas the candidate, was involved in getting Russians to break American law. And if you can't see the... No, but I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting that the mere fact that the Russians wanted him in there, would that not bother you from the point of view if they sought to their advantage that Donald Trump would be the president? Mick, the fact that other people, including non-Americans, want things in regard to American elections doesn't bother me. There are millions of people in Ireland who want Trump to lose. What people believe in their heart of hearts doesn't bother me. They're entitled to have their opinions. They're entitled to say them out loud. They're even entitled to get on Facebook and post things I don't like. That doesn't mean they've been, quote, interfering. What, no American laws were broken to the extent that anyone has been prosecuted. That's the point. And for the first few months, the administration was, during, during all these events, were being run by Democrats, by President Obama. He was in charge of the FBI. If bad things were going on that was hurting Democrats, you could have been sure the FBI under Obama would have prosecuted some. Once the Democrats lost, they needed an excuse for running an inept election, and they invented the Russia hoax. If you want to keep believing it, I can't stop you. Lots of people people to this day think McCarthy was right. The only difference is the names and dates have changed. That's all. You want to believe this hoax, you can. But it remains just that. Well... People would dispute the fact that what Mueller compiled amounted to a hoax set, but in fairness, I, I, I take your point where you're coming from that. Can I move on to a different element? And that's Mr. Trump's character. You can, oh, but just, it, it, seems a, it seems a funny thing to talk about, and I think we all know what it is, and I don't think you're going to add much to it or I will. People want to know in the United States about bread and butter. What can you do and what do you intend to do and what will you realistically accomplish for me? Well, how Trump runs his private life, nobody cares. Well, two things about that. First of all, in, in, in terms of his private life, up to, up to a point, I'd absolutely agree with you. That's also in sharp contrast to the impact of the private lives of previous presidents or candidates even. But le- le- leaving that aside, I'm not talking about his private life or our allegations around his sexual life or anything like that. I'm talking about the person's character. Does it matter whether the person is regarded as trustworthy or somebody in that respect who could be relied on as a leader. Do those elements matter in terms of character set, in your opinion? Well, uh, if a politician makes promises he doesn't intend to keep and then doesn't keep them, or if he makes promises that are he's unlikely to keep, pretending he is likely to keep them, and disappoints his supporters, then it, it matters because he's not going to get reelected. Uh, if you want to point to particular promises Trump made, uh, we could talk about them. The wall? That's what character is in politics. Character is making a promise and implementing it. What about the wall? 
What about the wall? There is no wall at the moment. There's a bit of a wall. There's much of a wall. He, he said he was going to build a wall and the Mexicans were going to pay for it. That's right. But, but most Americans understand the purse is held by Congress. And if Congress doesn't approve funds, the president has very little option. Well, he shouldn't have been promising it, so... But that depends about how you understood the promise. I mean, if you think most Americans, when they hear a president say, I'm going to build a grandiose public works project, and I don't have to go into the American Treasury to do it, then you have a very shallow view of the average American voter. What about... Let me finish. The average supporter doesn't expect the president to break the law and to secrete money out of the Treasury where there's no statute implementing the policy. The president had an expectation that if he won the election, Congress would go along with him and appropriate the money. He was wrong about that. Now, if, if his supporters believe that means he broke a promise, then they won't vote for him. But I think most of his supporters understand that the people of the country elected a Democratic Congress, and he has to work with them. And to the extent he's not going to get all the money he hoped for, he's not going to get it. I mean, don't forget, in your country, here in Ireland, you have unified government. The executive has a majority in the uh, body that appropriates money, in the Oireachtas, in, in the lower house in the Doyle. Right? That's not the way it works in America. And most Americans, I won't say all Americans, but most Americans understand when the president says, I want to engage in a public works project, He's got to get the money from Congress, right? Now, if you want to consider that a lie or that Americans were confused, you can. But I haven't detected from most of the Trump supporters I know that they are so disappointed in this that they hold it against the president as a matter of character. What about one of the other big things, Seth, and that was the Rust Belt states, the jobs that have disappeared, the people called the left behinds, a lot of those people who voted from, those jobs haven't come back in the last four years. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, in, in Pennsylvania, there was fracking. Uh, that's certainly a Rust Belt, blue-collar type job. And a lot of people were making money about it. As a matter of fact, to the extent that the Democratic Party during the primaries was talking about this issue, they were all against fracking because they wanted the marginal environmental voter in their primary to help them win. The minute they won their primary, Biden and Biden wants Pennsylvania. Biden has now said he's all for fracking in Pennsylvania, and Kamala Harris has totally changed her mind on that issue. So the idea that there hasn't been some positive shift there, I, I'm not sure you're right. And as a matter of fact, I think that's a bigger problem for the president's opponents than it is for the president. Light manufacturing made a comeback under Trump's first two years. Some of it did. I, do, I don't think it has been anywhere to the extent that he, he, he promised it would be back. And he, he, he's, well, he suggests, let me put it this way to you, Seth. He, he suggested. You think the president said, I expect light manufacturing to go up 16.2%. And if it goes up only 15, you could hold it against me. Come on. Seth. What, what he said, what he said in broad terms was the jobs that had been sourced offshore to places, and we, we have benefited in this country from it, to places like Ireland, to places like Central America, elements of Europe, these jobs, American corporations, he was going to bring them home. Very little has been done in that respect in the last four years. Well, Mick, uh, again, I, you're, you're reading it one way, and I don't think that's the way the, the president's supporters in the last election under, understood it. I think what the president was emphasizing was there are certain policies in the United States, uh, particularly regulatory policies, that encourage American manufacturers to move abroad where they will face lesser tax burdens, lesser regulatory burdens, and truth be told, lesser environmental burdens. And he was going to make best efforts to roll those regulations back so there are no incentives to move jobs abroad. Right? The idea of repatriating jobs. I think most people who heard that understood that as hyperbole. Uh, that's very expensive to move manufacturing facilities out of one country into another. Uh, and the gains from doing that might not be all that great. 
But what the president has certainly done is he's moved back and, and rolled back parts of the regulatory state. And to that extent, uh, the president has, within the, the levers that are under his control, which includes the regulatory state to some extent, uh, he's kept his word. Now, whether you see that or not, I don't know. A lot of these effects that were positive have been overshadowed by the disaster that is COVID and the lockdowns that have been made under state regulatory authority that have seized the economy up. Um, so, you know, who's going to get defaulted on election day is anyone's guess. But I can tell you is there was a by-election in California around, I think it was around half a year ago, uh, uh, when a Democratic congresswoman resigned because of a personal ethics scandal. And uh, uh, her state and her district is a Democratic district, and surprisingly, it went Republican. So it's not at all that clear who the voters are going to blame. Perhaps they'll blame all the incumbents, for all I know, for the economic downturn, if they'll blame anyone. Uh, it might, it might, they might pin it on Trump because, after all, if you, you know, the president often is accorded the benefits and the losses of the national economy, but they might not. I mean, certainly the great historical example is back in the 1930s, Franklin Roosevelt, when he was elected, when he ran against uh, Hoover, ran against Hoover for being a spendthrift and a profligate. And then the economy actually did worse under Franklin Roosevelt's four years, but the voters stuck with Roosevelt anyway. So we really don't know what's going to happen on election day. Would you accept, though, that in terms of the pandemic, his approach to it, certainly in the initial phases, appeared to be to minimise it as much as possible in order to ensure that the economy keeps ticking over all the way to election day or as near to that as possible. The result of that has been that many more lives have been lost. And some of his theories about tackling it have you know, they've also dealt a blow to, to the scientists who are, who are trying to do their best at it. I mean, would you accept that he bears serious culpability for how the pandemic has been handled since since, it, um, since last March or so? Well, he, he bears significant responsibility. Culpability is a question for the voter. Um, obviously, you think he's done some significant things wrong. Let me put it to you this way. I have yet to meet an Irish person who believes that the president of the European Commission or the European Commission as a body bears any responsibility or culpability for what's happened in Europe. And the reason most Irish people view that, um, as far as I could tell, is because they understand that the response to the pandemic and control over medical services largely lies with the member states, not with the European Union. And therefore, forcing culpability on the president of the European Commission or on the commission as a whole, is very misguided. Well, it shouldn't surprise you that the United States is a collection of states, not exactly like the European Union, but similar in the sense that health and hospitals and the response to the pandemic lies largely with state authorities. So how much the president could have done and should have done is kind of not the central question when the levers to control policy were largely with governors and county authorities in the United States. Now, that story isn't told here in Ireland for two reasons. One, to tell you the truth, largely because the media assumes that the president is all-powerful because they really don't understand the United States. But two, because they imagine that the United States is a unitary state like Ireland is, where you have a national government and the government basically controls the levers. In the United States, we have divided government between the president and Congress, and it's divided again between the national government and the states. So the idea that the president has culpability here beyond the responsibility for using the levers he had access to strikes me as not really the direction 
some people will go in on election day. I I wonder about that set to the extent that I I, I understand perfectly the federal uh, nature of government there, but there is at times of big national issues. There is the messaging. There is the the tone that is set. All of that, and and I think I think some people have short term memory problems, and sometimes it's the media. You may remember that when the president started to respond to these problems, when he tried to lock down uh, uh, airport connections to China and to other danger parts in the world, he was accused of being a racist by his political opponents. Not only that, but Mayor de Blasio was encouraging people to go out and to party in Chinatown, just as uh, Pelosi did herself uh, at the time the president was asking people to begin the process of seclusion. Where, where, where his political opponents were saying this is all just prejudice and there was no reason for people to go into any sort of seclusion. So the president early on was trying to take this seriously. He was running into all sorts of political opposition. Some of it was, was, was in good faith. Um, I don't suggest all of it wasn't. Uh, there was divided scientific authority. There still is divided scientific authority in what the best way to do things is. Not all that clear that the lockdown really worked out that well for everyone. But the president wasn't in a position to do much more than locking down the airports and controlling a few hospitals that are there for soldiers and veterans. Those are the levers he has. When the state authorities came to him for extra help for getting ventilators and for uh, uh, emergency authority, the president gave it to him. And early on, he was getting all sorts of plaudits even from Democratic governors, like the one in New York and the one in California. He was getting ventilators to the states that asked for them. So there's a short-term memory problem here, which is that things were happening in February and March and April, but there was lots of different information that was coming out from lots of different people. And the idea that the president could have made it all go away just isn't true, right? One thing the American voter is going to look for on election day is who is being straight with him. That's why Phil Hogan had to go in this country. People were upset with Golfgate. People in this country made real sacrifices to obey the law, and they see the elites not doing so. If, if the Democrats walk into this election with Nancy Pelosi's major picture being having her hair done in violation of California law, where everyone else gets fined for not secluding, Trump's going to win hands down. What about the Woodward tapes? That that's an issue. What the what about the? What do you think? This, you think you think this is Watergate? No, I don't. Seth, it's very simple. The tapes showed that the president, when he was telling Bob Woodward that this was a serious virus, publicly he was saying it was not a serious virus. It was like the flu. What the tapes show is that Woodward wanted to make some money just before an election. If those tapes meant what you think they mean, and what Woodward would now have you believe. He would have released those tapes the day Trump said those things. All Trump said was, I don't want to cause a panic. The idea that Trump had good, verified scientific information that he could act on and tell the American public, oh, for God's sakes, don't go out. Uh, No, that wasn't where the president was at the time. What the president was saying is I was getting sorts of different information. I didn't know which was reliable. I was playing it down not to cause a panic. But people don't go to the president of the United States for daily instructions how to live. I mean, you're playing let's pretend and thinking that there are millions of Americans who get up, wait for Trump to say something and guide their lives by it. 
to the extent people get medical advice, they get it from their state and local and county authorities, and they get it from their doctor, and they get it from regulations that are passed that offer people guidance in their concrete life. They don't get it from the president at NewsHour, particularly after four years of Trump, where about half the country doesn't believe anything the man says anyway. (laughs) The idea that all the president had to do was come out with a statement and everything would have been better, that's kind of ridiculous. And I never suggested that, Seth. What I'm suggesting is if you look at areas like even the wearing of face masks, his attitude to that, his... uh, the conflicting messages he sent compared to what Anthony Fauci was putting out there, all of that. It's not a question everything would have been fine, but if there was leadership, if people could look and see that the president was going in one direction and he wanted to lead the country that way. Mick, as I, as I remember, Mick, for several months in this country after the February election here, there wasn't even a tea shock with the majority behind him, and the country managed to go on. I don't imagine that anyone in this government says they killed thousands of Irish people because there was no elected Taoiseach with the majority behind him. The country manages to limp on anyway, right? So the idea that if Trump had got his messaging right, and if he had better information, and if he knew which of the conflicting information to act upon, things would have been that different. That's a hokey pipe dream. We'll agree to disagree on that one, Seth. That, that's, like, that's like all the generals in America after losing a war say, if we only did it slightly differently, we would have won. We'll get it right next time. All right. The fact of the matter is the United States and Sweden right now both have about the same number of deaths per million from the pandemic, even though Sweden didn't go into a lockdown and most of America did. So the idea that so the idea that different policies will automatically lead to terribly different results isn't all that clear. Yeah, no, Sweden is a bit of an outlier in its own way, but we won't, we, we won't go down that road right now. One other issue I just wanted to touch with you and Mick, touch Mick, with Mick, you. Mick, and, Mick, 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 Yeah. Let's go down that road. Right. Sweden did follow a very different model to most of the rest of Europe, Seth. Right. They did. Yeah. And initially it appeared to be working and then they realised that it wasn't working in terms of how they went about it and they didn't go into a lockdown. So I all I'm saying is I would not present Sweden as an example that's typical of anything in comparison to the USA. Mick, Mick, saying that they chose a different path doesn't mean it was the wrong path. All right? they, they, they and the British have around the same number of deaths per million, and the Americans, they're in line with one another. And yet the British and the Americans and the Swedes have had very different policies. And one thing that you could take away from that is that the different policy choices have not had a big impact on the actual death rate and the actual injury rate of people getting this disease. I don't know what they go along with that now at all, to be honest with you. I think there's no, if you listen to the science, the, the policies that you use in tackling it are absolutely vital. So it depends on whether you listen to the science. I, I, I certainly agree with you, Mick, that we ought to listen to the science, but the problem is, uh, science isn't supposed to be saying, well, this is what I want to do and it will work. At some point, science has to be verified with observable data. And many countries have tried different policies with regard to the lockdown. And the British and the Swedes aren't that far apart in the actual results and the consequences of their very different policies. The same is true in the United States. Different states have had different lockdown policies. Uh, New York and New Jersey have been in almost total lockdown since March. And yet those two states have the highest deaths per million. Now, one reason New York is high 
is perhaps because it has a very concentrated population in New York. Yeah. It's not the only thing going on. Uh, that one reason a, a, a lot of people died in New York is to, in order to keep the hospitals clear to flatten the curve, the governor gave an order that the hospitals should be empty of older people with COVID, and he sent those patients into old folks' homes where the people who were most acutely at risk from being exposed to COVID got it and died. So the, the idea that you should follow the science, heck, during this process, people didn't know what the science was. And pretending that if the president had just said something differently, millions of people would have Ran, run their lives differently, as if they're listening to America for their health advice. It's just kind of silly, Nick. It's not really with America. Uh, no, it isn't. And I'm not suggesting that. And I think I think you're well aware I'm suggesting something different. I think you're well aware I'm Nick, I know exactly what you're suggesting. You're saying if the president had acted on the science earlier and got the true information out to people, a lot of people would have conducted their life in a more safe way. Some. Absolutely, I'm saying some would have. And you know what? We have 50 governors in 50 states who could have done exactly that. And we have county executives in every state. And we have a vice president and we have a speaker of the house and we have a president senate and we've got judges galore. And the idea that it all comes down to the president is just silly. And that's why, no, and that's why no one in this country batted an eyelash and no one in this country has held it against the parties in the current coalition that for months on end after the election, they couldn't form a government because no one really cared who the T-shock was and life went on even during a pandemic. So this idea that you're gonna put it on the president, that just strikes me as silly and it's not the way things run here either. One final thing on that topic, so. Some of the states that were worst hit in the South and the West were so-called red states, which would have been regarded as being those that were supporters of Trump and by inference, did they take their lead from Trump? And is that the result Nick, from Nick, it? You're just making stuff up now. Go to the coronavirus tables. The top three states in terms of deaths per million of Democratic governors. The top two are New York and New Jersey. So the idea that there are these southern red states, this is just stereotyping. Unless you, unless you identify the states and tell me who the governor is, I don't know what you're talking about. And I don't think you do either. Name a state. I could go right to the coronavirus tables. There's a table that's updated every day. It's Worldometer's coronavirus. You tell me what state you have in mind, Mick. After, after things got under control in New York, you head down towards Florida, over west towards Arizona, Texas to a certain extent, in a lot of those states. That was where the worst of the pandemic was hitting through the summer months. All right. All right. What, what you're saying is after things got under control. New York was the epicenter initially. Mick? Things aren't under control. They never were. Uh, people still continue to get corona. The top four states in terms of corona are New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. All four of them have Democratic legislatures, and three of them have Democratic governors. If you want to talk about Arizona, Arizona is number nine on the list. You got to go way down. What was the other state you mentioned? I mentioned Florida, yeah. Florida is 15. All right. So, so that's below the mean, actually. Florida is, is, right, is, is, the, is the first state below the average. So the idea that Florida is this death trap. I never said it was a death trap. Thing. I'm not going to say this, but this is the way the, many Americans would hear you. All right. There is a right. sneering elite media class. I'm not saying this. I'm just telling you what many Americans might say this. There is a sneering elite media class that doesn't like working class people, people who drive trucks people who work with their hands. And if they vote for Trump, 
that's proof of what sort of person they are, which is a bad person. And if there's a red state that votes for Trump, there's a problem there. And we could just assume that the red states are sicker than the blue states. Florida has a deaths per million rate below the mean for the United States, below the mean. The states that are above the mean are New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, all Democratic states, although Massachusetts, for some odd reason, has a Republican governor. So three of the four top states are all Democrats. So if you want to tell a news story that things looked like they were getting under control, but the Republicans in states that were doing re- relatively good managed to mess it up, you can tell that little story. But the numbers right. don't bear it out. So and there's you really, really something wrong with just making things up just to get at Trump and his voters. And yeah. you, you so could do better than that. Okay, thank you. No. You mentioned this alleged sneering and this attitude that so-called media or whomever have towards uh, working class people. I put it to you this. Donald Trump is precisely the man who has had that sneering attitude. What has he done for the so-called blue collar workers in the United States, many of whom flocked to his standard four years ago? What has he done economically for them in the last four years? The first response to that is those millions of voters are going to have a chance on November 3rd to tell you what he's done, and you don't need to hear from me. But the real answer to that question is those working class people, it's their sons and daughters and nephews and nieces who are in the American Armed Forces who weren't killed in the last four years. And that's a hell of a good start, even if you don't think so. I absolutely think so. The fact there's no war. Who who would want war? Sit. Listen. One other thing I wanted to touch on with you is Meg, is, Meg, stop, stop. Who would want war? America has been in its share of wars. I think you know that. The difference I, is there are democratic won wars. Nobody seems to care in this country. All right. No one. No one in this country during the last election okay, said. Okay. One other issue is the Republican Party. You gotta let me finish. Yeah. No one in this country. Yeah, that Hillary Clinton worked with the Obama administration as Secretary of State to destroy Libya. All right, that was a country that was imploded by American bombs. It's so bad that there are actually slave markets in Libya today where people are sold as slaves. That did not happen under Trump. No, he's not, and he's in, and neither did the fire of London and various other aspects of history. I'll agree with you. Trump, there was no wars in the last four years, Seth. We, we've agreed on that. Absolutely no question. One final thing just to add, touch on you, and that's the Republican Party. What's your opinion of the Republican Party today in terms of the values that that party has always been known for? And whether one agrees or disagrees with it, there were values that were very much associated with America, what America stood for. I'd suggest to you that today, those values have all been, to some extent, abandoned on the basis that people, they're rowing in behind Trump, a man, whom I'd have to suggest, doesn't appear to have any values. Look, Nick, you started with the statistics about Florida, and now you're just going into wild insults, all right? You want to suggest the man has no values? If you feel that way, go to America because... Well, tell me what values would you suggest he has? I'll, I'll tell you, all right? The Republican Party has always had one, from the very beginning, from 1856, one core principle, right? Just one. There have been other principles, Mm. but it's had one core principle. That is one law for everybody, and that law gets enforced. It's called law and order. And when people see Golfgate in this country or Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, blaming on the hairdresser that she broke the lockdown rule, 
a lot of people for that reason are going to flock to Trump. All right. Law and order means one law for everybody. And that law gets enforced even against kids who go to good colleges who decide to become arsonists. All right. So right now, you might say there are millions of people, including lots of working class people, who are thinking their neighborhood is the next to be burned down. And they know for sure that the people who are burning the neighborhoods down aren't older Trump voters. And if you don't see it that way, you don't. But we'll find out on Election Day. But the idea, but the idea that because you here in Ireland don't like his values, we could have a conversation about that. That's a little out there, Mick. It's a little out there. If you want to have a conversation about policy, tell me a policy and we'll talk about it. But if you don't like Donald Trump because you don't like his values, then my only solution for you is go to America, become a citizen and vote against the guy. Because otherwise, no one cares. You're not a leader in the United States. I'm not suggesting anyone should care, Seth. I'm just exploring what people might think, and I'm ex- I'm, a- I'm asking you and your no one. No one cares in America about an abstract value question. At least I don't think many people care. They want to know exactly what this president is going to do to make sure their neighborhood isn't the next to be burned down by arsonists, or or that their neighbor isn't the next to be burned down by crazy wildfires in California because the California state government won't do any proper backhoeing and forest management. And and because Donald Trump denies that it has anything to do with climate change. If you want to have that argument with the American voter, you can. Oh, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to the heart of that through asking you the question, Seth, and I appreciate that. But, that, but that's, the, that's the dispute, isn't it? The dispute is, what's co- I mean, we have the government and the police forces in the United States who've arrested half a dozen arsonists in California setting forest fires. So if you want to say it's not the arsonists, it's climate change, you can. And we'll know on election day how the voters feel about it. I'm not saying it's not arsonists. What I'm saying is the capacity for fires to spread, etc. A lot of that. The, the, The fact of the recurrence of fires, they're not all down to arsonists. Sorry, in the simplest terms, Mr. Trump denies that climate change is a major issue at the moment. And I think people, again, the science is against them. And a lot of people would have issues with that. I accept totally that his voters don't have an issue with that. That's not the point, Mick. The point is, what matters is, what policies has he introduced or stopped in order to make things better? Not what he believes. What he believes is just a matter of virtue signaling. It's cheap, it's inexpensive, and it doesn't change the world. People could believe anything they want. The question is, what could he have done differently and better? And what has he done worse that he shouldn't be rewarded with a new administration for? Right? Forest management is a matter of state control, except in federal parks. Right? Except in federal national parks, forest management is for the states. Right? So even though Governor Newsom, the Democrat in California, may believe in climate change, doesn't mean he's got a good handle of the problem on forest fires. Right? What you believe in the sense of whether you think the earth will get one degree warmer in the next 50 years, doesn't have a lot to do with brass tax today, what policies you're going to implement. But surely what you believe will inform your policy set. Uh, it'll certainly help form priorities, but the president is just one player in picking those priorities, and the president doesn't control the budget. That usually starts in the House, and that's in the hands of the Democratic Party. All right? So the president can only exploit and explore the powers he has legal authority to use. All right? Uh, 
you know, a few minutes ago, you were faulting supposed red states for not. I wasn't faulting them. <laughs> Can I, can I can I can I can I point out the states that have had the fires lately have all been blue states? Shall we say it's all because of blue state governors? It's funny that conversation never comes up. It is, but it's it's also funny if you don't mind me saying that from your point of view, the the the, the, the giant arsons and forest fires. Which which are those red states? I, I'd like to know. I'll, I'll stop going to them. Arsonists or Democrats? The the blue states. The blue states that have had the fires are California, Oregon, Washington. The states that have had the arson attacks where the law isn't enforced have almost exclusively been democratic cities. I mean, all the cities where the arsons have attacked and have burned down neighborhoods in the last year have been places where the police are controlled by sheriff's departments that are held by Democrats, Democratic mayors and Democratic city councils and state governors not using the state police who are Democrats. That's a problem. And I think we'll get votes for that, whether it's enough to return him, I don't know. The the um, unfortunately, the time has caught up with us because a fascinating conversation. I must say, thanks, thanks very much for engaging. One quick thing, and just if you could try and wear a neutral hat and analyze very briefly, do you think at this stage Donald Trump will get reelected? Uh, at this stage, I would say he's got a one in four shot. One in four. One in four. Right. Very interesting. Seth Barrett-Hillman, thank you very much for joining us and maybe with a bit of luck we might have you back after the result. That would be great. Very good talking to you. Thanks very much, Seth. That's it for today, folks. Um, I'd like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to us on all the usual platforms, iTunes, Spotify, a lot of them. And you can let me know what you think at mick.clifford.examiner.ie or on Twitter at at mickcliff. See you soon. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.